Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the hymn book of Israel as we pick up in Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn to the Psalms and beginning tonight with the first Psalm? The Psalms are actually divided into five books. It was really the hymn book for the nation of Israel. They were sung in their original forms. In the Psalms, there is much prophecy because we are told by Peter that David was a prophet and that he spake by the Holy Spirit and much of what he spake was prophecy in regards to the coming Messiah and did have its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There are many psalms that are known as messianic psalms, that is, psalms that refer directly to Jesus Christ. We'll get one of those tonight as we get into second psalm. Each of the five books of the psalms end in a doxology. The first of the books is from Psalm 1 to 41. The second is 42 to 72, the third is 73 to 89, the fourth is 90 to 106, and the fifth book of the Psalms is 107 to 150. The majority of them were written by David. Asaph was an author of some of them. Moses wrote some of them, but they were the songs of the children of Israel. They speak of human nature, man's cry after God, man seeking to relate to God, and they cover all of the gamuts of man's feelings. They are poetry, but as we have pointed out, poetry to the Hebrew was not rhyming words or sentences, nor was it a rhythm, but it was a rhyming of ideas or a contrasting of ideas. Many of the psalms are known as acrostic psalms. We'll point them out to you when we get to them. That is that each verse begins with a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we have several acrostic psalms with Psalm 119 probably is the best example of an acrostic psalm, however, you find that about eight verses begin, each verse within the eight begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet successively so that the first seven, eight verses begin with Aleph and then the next begin with Beth and then Deleth and Gimel and so forth. And so you go through the Hebrew alphabet with the 119th Psalm and it of course is the longest chapter in the Bible. The first psalm deals with the godly man and the ungodly man. There's a contrast. And the contrast perhaps is best expressed by the first and the last words of the psalm. 
Concerning the godly, blessed. Concerning the ungodly, perish. Blessed is the man. The word blessed in the Hebrew has a, has a meaning, oh, how happy is the man. And first of all, we see this happy man in a negative context. That is, he is walking not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. And there does seem to be a progression here. First person begins quite often just walking in the counsel of the ungodly. The next thing he finds, he's standing around in the congregation of the sinners. And finally, he sort of just settled down and is seated in the seat of the scornful. That's the negative side. The blessed man doesn't do this. But contrarywise, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate both day and night. So from a negative standpoint, the happy man is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but from a positive standpoint, is being directed by the counsel of God. He's meditating in the law of the Lord day and night. Now, the effect or the results of this he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So we see, first of all, like a tree planted by the rivers of water in contrast to a tree that's growing out in a barren wilderness, bringing forth fruit in his season. An interesting thing about unseasonable fruit, it never matures. It never becomes ripe. You may plant watermelon seeds in August when you eat your watermelons. And the vine might grow and watermelons might come on it, but it's unseasonable. It will never get ripe. It'll always be green. There are some people who never mature. That is, really bring forth mature fruit. Jesus tells us that the seed planted on various types of soil result in various developments of fruition. Some planted by the wayside immediately is plucked up on the stony ground may grow for a moment, but will never bear fruit, never develop, because it lacks the depth. That which is thrown among the thorns will grow, but the thorns will choke out the fruitfulness of it ultimately, the cares of this life, deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. It is only that which falls on the good ground that brings forth fruit in varying degrees, 30, 60, 100 full. Now Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. And then later on in that 15th chapter of John, he said, You have not chosen me, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. And so as 
children of God, we should be interested in being fruitful, bringing forth fruit, and then we should also be interested in bringing forth fruit that remains or lasting fruit in our lives. And so often the, the test of a, of a ministry is, is the lasting fruit that is brought forth from that ministry. So like a tree bringing forth fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither. That is, there is a freshness to his life, a continual freshness, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, what is this man doing? <laughs> He's meditating in the law of the Lord day and night. God has given to us the rules of happiness. God has given to us the rules of prosperity. They are there in his law. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Moses, when he turned the reins over to Joshua, said unto Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Meditate, stay in the word, the law of the Lord. Then thou shalt be prosperous, you'll have good success. So much the same is declared here in Psalm 1. Now, the contrast, and here's where the Hebrew poetry comes in, in contrasting ideas. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Now, this is contrasted to the tree planted by the rivers of water bringing forth fruit in his season, but the ungodly is like chaff, which the wind driveth away. Now, when they threshed their grain, of course, when you gather in your barley or your wheat, it has the hull on it, and so they would pick it up in their hands, and, and, and they would get in a place where there's a good stiff breeze. They'd rub it in their hands and then throw it up in the air. And the wind would take the hulls, the chaff, and blow it away, and just the grain would fall back down. And, and that was their form of, of removing the, the hulls from the grain after they had harvested, just rubbing it in their hands and then throwing it up into the air and the wind. And so it was a very familiar sight to the people of a fellow standing on a windy ridge rubbing his hands, throwing the grain in the air, and watching the chaff just blow away and just the grain falling back down again. And so the ungodly are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The second psalm deals with the kingdom age, the glorious kingdom age when Jesus reigns upon the earth, a messianic psalm. 
Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? For the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. His anointed there is his Messiah. The word Messiah is the anointed one. So they've taken counsel together against Jehovah and against his Messiah declaring, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And so man, rebelling against God and against Jesus Christ, the heathen raging, imagining a vain thing that they can cast God off from their lives. But he that sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. So we are looking at God's judgment upon the Christ-rejecting world. And in spite of their gathering together to try to thwart the return of Jesus Christ, Yet God will establish his kingdom upon the earth. God declares, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And I will declare the decree, and the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the othermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now, Verse 8 is often taken out of context and it is used by many missionary societies as sort of a key verse for the missionary society. Ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. But this is not really a missionary scripture. It has nothing to do with present day missions. This scripture has to do with the kingdom age. As the father declares unto the son, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. It's talking about that glorious day when our prayers are fulfilled and his kingdom has come and his will is being done in the earth even as it is in heaven and his kingdom covers the entire earth. And so it is the father speaking to the son, promising to him the kingdom ruling over the whole earth. And then God speaks of the nature of that kingdom. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now Jesus, in his message to the church of Thyatira, picked up from this particular psalm. And he said, he that overcometh, verse 26 of chapter 2 of Revelation, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, as I have received of my Father. And so Jesus actually quotes from this psalm as regards to the nature of the kingdom age. Now, when Jesus comes again 
to the earth in his second coming. The purpose is to establish God's kingdom upon the earth. That the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies of the kingdom age might come to pass. As righteousness will cover the earth as waters do cover the sea. And he will reign in righteousness, in truth, and in judgment. But it will be an ironclad reign. During this period of time, Satan is to be bound and cast into the abuso, the bottomless pit. So he will not be one that we will have to contend with in the kingdom age. All we'll have to contend with is that inherent evil that is in man. Now, when Jesus comes again, the first thing that will transpire is that he will gather together all of the nations for judgment. And he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place those on his right hand and he'll say unto them, Come ye blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. For I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me to drink, naked and you clothed me, sick and you visited me. And to those on the left, he will say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, into everlasting judgment that was prepared for Satan and his angels. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Well, Lord, when did we see you in these conditions? And he said, Inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me, speaking of his brethren the Jews. So the nations will actually be judged concerning their treatment of his brethren. Now, those who are placed on the right side will be allowed to go into the kingdom age. Now, when Jesus comes again in his second coming, we will be coming with him, only we will be in our glorified bodies. We will have gone through the metamorphosis that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I show you a mystery. We're not going to all sleep, but we're all going to be changed. The metamorphosis in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, for this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. And so Paul said, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. We'll be coming back with Jesus to live and reign with him for a thousand years during his millennial reign upon the earth. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, as it is speaking of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us and all, and it speaks there, and we shall reign with him as a kingdom of priests. And then in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, as he takes the sealed scroll out of the right hand of him who is sitting upon the throne, the glorious song that is sung at that point by the church is, 
Worthy is the Lamb to take the scroll and loose the seals, for he was slain and has redeemed us by his blood out of all nations, tribes, tongues, and peoples, and hath made us unto our God a kingdom of priests, and we shall reign with him upon the earth. So we're coming back to reign with Jesus upon the earth in his kingdom for a thousand years. That's one company, the church, in their glorified bodies. But it will be possible, and there will be some, who will actually live through the Great Tribulation period. They'll survive it. And providing they have not worshipped the Antichrist, providing they have not taken his mark, and providing their interest in God's people they will be allowed to enter into the kingdom age in these bodies like we presently have. In an earth that will be renewed and restored as was the Garden of Eden, in that again there will be a restored longevity of life, for a child will die being a hundred. But yet those that is evil, but those that are righteous will, will, will fulfill their years. They, they won't die. They will live during this entire period of time. The longevity will be restored. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, the book of Psalms, on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalms 1 through 2 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord give you an especially good week this week. Oh, may God deliver you from the power of your own fleshly desires that would drag you down. And may you live a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. And may God anoint you and give you that strength that you need to fulfill the commitment that you make. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.